Hello and welcome to Really Good Appears. My name is Gary O'Brien. This is where I get some of my very good friends on to chat about and discuss all sorts of movies. And joining me today, once again, it's Keno Driscoll. And he's here to talk about the 1976 Western, The Outlaw Josie Wales. So stick around. We hope you enjoy. space then for you know the music and makes the whole noise and then we'll and then we'll get into it if that sounds good before we start is there any time during the podcast for an intermission in case i need uh, to go for a whiz uh, no keen we did this the last time i let you make your cocktails I, like <laughs> come on cut okay. me a bit of slack okay, okay i know okay, it's okay, i know okay. it's five past twelve in the morning but please it is very late okay pure go. professionalism here pure professionalism how are you thanks for coming back Sure. Fuck. Thanks for having me. I I wasn't sure after the last time if uh if I'd be allowed on again, but yeah, like I, I promise I'm say, more sober. Y- your alcohol consumption was monitored a lot more strictly this time, so you're good. Well, it was on my conscience as well, you know. No, it, to be honest, I didn't mind because I just knew you were suffering having to listen to yourself, and I just received text messages off you for the, your entirety of you listening to your last podcast, going, "What the fuck? Why did you release this, Gary?" So that was enough punishment for me. I didn't really care. Well, look, I, I I don't, while I'm drinking, it's fine. You know, I don't monitor it, but it's just mm. listening back. I was like, oh, oh no. Okay, dial it yeah. back. Yeah. Um, but it was it was great. So what happened was we were like, I need to get you back on. And we were like, what's next? And like you mentioned in the last podcast, the first movie we tried to do was The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And that's simply too long of a movie for us to break down uh, with our short, short attention span. So we did The Big Lebowski. Uh, and then I was like, what do you want to do next? And with sheer determination and just unwavering dedication, you you wanted this movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales. Why? Why Why this? Because why? I know you're a big Clint Eastwood fan. It's what you shout on about most. But of all the movies he has done, why this one? Um. Well, to be honest, I, I could pick any of them, really. Um, Like... I, I really could pick any of them. Like I mean, he's like every western he's done is is really, and a lot of them are very different. Um, a lot of them kind of break the mold for westerns, but like this one is very. It's a little bit different, but it also kind of ticks all the boxes for him being the the standalone sort of lone ranger type thing, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, it breaks the mold because he does have a tag along crowd that goes with him, you know. And it really kind of lets the audience, I think you mentioned it like prior to this, it just lets the audience kind of relate more to this loner character. So he doesn't have to open us up as much. Mm. But uh, yeah, so it kind of breaks the mold in that sense. Whereas, you know, like the spaghetti westerns, like the good, the bad and the ugly for a few dollars, more, like all of them, like he doesn't have that tag along crowd. Whereas this one he does and he actually sticks with them for the majority of the movie you know so it is a little bit different and i like that and it has a few other kind of like themes going through it like it focuses a lot on the the civil war earlier on in the movie anyway um which is kind of interesting yeah and then like running throughout it is the is an indian character like chief george i think his name dan george or something like that um he's the actor which i so you mean Dan Lone Watty? Lone Watty, that's his name, yeah. I'm just going to call him George. Yeah, we'll call him George. In, in honour of George. Our, uh, our mutual friend, but the one you predominantly know for longer, George from Australia. 
George from Australia. Yes, 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 yes. Bulgarian, Bulgarian Australian George. Yeah. <laughs> Chief Bulgarian Chief. Australian George. A, do we want to make a claim right now that we're just going to call him Chief from now on? And whether yeah, he listens to this podcast Chief. or not, we're going to call him Chief. We're going to call him Chief. And if he does listen to it, it's going to be a lovely surprise. Yeah, well, yeah. If you're down in Australia, be like, Crocky, mate. They're calling me Chief <laughs> up there. With a Bulgarian, Irish, Australian accent. <laughs> Uh, yeah no so like him like having him as a like a sidekick throughout the film like it's really good because like i find the whole not to get too deep into it too quickly or anything like i find the whole kind of american colonization colonialism of like the indian tribe like i find it very interesting and he's a very interesting character he's my favorite character in the movie um for his wit and you know well uh, He's very dignified as well as humorous, you know, throughout the movie. Civilized. Like he, civ- civilized. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a fun joke for those for those two people listening that have watched this movie and aren't just... Oh, no, 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 and no. Aren't, fuck. And aren't just here for Keen. No, fuck the listeners. We got you up to fucking 30 now, this, like, this time, last time. So, fuck it. Like, we're going to get up to 30 <laughs> now again this time. So, you better be fucking listening. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Well, for those, uh, what I imagine to be two, but you imagine to be 30 people listening to this, um, who may not have seen the movie, perhaps, do you care to try and explain what the plot of this movie is? Uh, we're going to go into spoilers straight after this, so beware. But, like, what is what is the outlaw Josie Wales about? Um. So, basically, it's set, I, I believe it's set just after the Civil War, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But I believe it's set after the Civil War, um, and it's basically about this, you know, uh, I, I think he's just a farmer. Mm. Um, I don't know, did he have a role prior um, during the Civil War or anything, but um, he's out there in a farm, like, with his family, and basically this group of uh, unionists or red legs as they're called i think they're you know like a not a renegade no renegade's not the right word but like a law enforcing sort of you know unionist band of you know i don't know but they're basically just kind of scouring the countryside looking for uh you know uh loot booty loot and booty and also like confederates um you know kind of hiding out or but it's it's them kind of taking the opportunity to do what they want yeah you know and just like fucking pillage and loot or whatever do you know so he's there with his family or whatever and then all of a sudden these uh red legs unionist this band of horse riders and gunslingers come around and they they kill his family and they burn his house down to the ground and he's basically left with nothing. He gets knocked out and he's basically left with nothing. Um, and so, like, I can only imagine after, like, a whole, like, whatever the Civil War did to the, that country, like, you know, he's left with nothing in this land where he's got no ties, you know. It's a, it's a kind of war-torn he's country. completely without any neckwear whatsoever. Ah, completely. <laughs> completely. You know, there's nothing holding that suit up. No, um, no, no. I, I, I like much, much in the words of Chumbawamba. He gets knocked down, but he gets right back up, up again. Ah, uh, oh, sure. This, this film is based on nudity. You know. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? I <laughs> know. Uh, um, so he 
has no ties left to his home or his farmstead or whatever. It's Not all burned. Not a dicky bow to his name. Not a dicky bow to his name, except oh. um, when his home gets burned down, like he, you can tell he's raw and he's angry and he goes back into the smoldering ashes of his home and he mm. picks up his gun mm-hmm. that he somehow managed to exactly locate. Um, and you just know that like he's got nothing left in him except for revenge. Yeah. So he joins up with this group of Confederates, uh, a militia group, I think, um, and they go around, you know, fighting back basically against the Unionists. But it's a it's a fight that they're losing the whole time. They're continuously being pushed back, um, and eventually they're they're the last group that's left. They they ha- eventually surrender, but they're betrayed. Um, by their leader, he well no, that's not true. They're not betrayed by their leader, but he basically takes gold while the rest of them are slaughtered. But Josie Wales, he hangs back, um, and you know he he didn't give in. He wanted to keep fighting, um, and it's just you know the film is basically like you know about the hunt for him, um, you know the the red legs and the unionists trying to hunt him down the bounty hunters yeah. yeah um and yeah and that's basically basically it you know it's the hunt for the man who wouldn't surrender but at the same time he's also got this burning revenge for the unionists that killed his family or the militia group basically yeah, yeah so it's it's interesting and the people he picks up along the way and stuff it's kind of interesting because for the majority of the movie you forget about the fact of what's driving him you know i think yes um yeah you know you forget what happened to him very early on in the movie because it happened so quickly um and it all like it does come around in the end um but he develops a lot along the way as a character but he doesn't give up on what he is either yeah uh, and 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 that's yeah like just one thing just to pick up on what you said there which was um that's what i i, I enjoyed quite a lot about this movie where it just got right to it it just got right to his family being murdered uh whereas like i don't know if you watch Watch some other movies. They just they spend twenty minutes with the family and just him playing with the kid and him like hugging the kids of the man, being like, "Oh yeah," but like you don't need that shit. You understand his family, his fucking wife and his like son have been killed. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough for him to be like yeah. revengeful. Um, and and it's it's great because uh, I I think I was talking to you about this last week and you when you were talking about wanting to pick this, you were just like, you think it's like the best revenge plot or best revenge story that you've ever seen it is in a lot of ways because um you know like like you said you can downplay a lot the fact that he didn't spend too much time with his family and stuff but like at the same time like these westerns are very isolated stories you know they're not like you know uh i think it is based on a book but like it's not they're not like massively you know uh well-known stories or anything and this like it's not a well, you know, uh, told tale. It's just some guy who, during the war, his family was killed, and he goes on a fucking, you know, bender of revenge. Um, and like a lot of the the killing spree that he goes on with his militia group, it, I don't know. Like it doesn't say during the film how long that goes on for. It could be a few years. Um, yeah, what? Because well, this is what I said to you, Jerry. So, so it is based on a book. It's based. Uh, it's adapted by Sonia Chernus and Philip Kaufman from the author Asa Earl Forrest Carter's 1972 novel, The Rebel Outlaw, 
Josie Wales, which was republished as shown in the movie's opening credits as Gaunt, Texas. Um, and it was funny because we were watching this uh, together because that seems to be the theme of whenever you want to do a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, like the opening, the, the like it's almost if like an opening theme and I have it written down here in my notes that I definitely didn't take, uh, which was, uh, it's like a James Bond intro because we have the opening scene which kind of sets up the movie and then there's like maybe like two minutes of just opening intro which is just like you see um, uh, Josie Wales going around with this group. Uh, I, and it's I, nearly I, like real life footage or real life footage. Yeah, you know. I, like yeah. I, but this is the point where I turned to you, there was a point at which I turned to you and I was like, wait, Josie Whale is a confederate? This yeah. might get problematic. <laughs> no, and that and that's what I like because it's something about Clint Eastwood, um, and I think he directed this as well, but a lot like a lot of his movies are no, he didn't direct this. He no, did really direct this, but he I have did. a whole thing about this. Yeah, no, a lot of the films he does, you'll find like I love war films as well, and like he did incredible films about the Korea uh no the the war uh with the Japanese. Um Letters to Iwo Jima and things like that, where he actually, but he did two uh, two films about the same war, but from the different sides, all right, of different points of view, and it's like I love that, you know, like because all you ever hear like is fucking the American sort of like point of view and yeah, you know, one sided story, you know, whereas now you hear a story about you know someone from the confederates and no to be fair you don't even know he's from the confederate he just joined them because he wanted revenge yeah at the same time no I, so you yeah. don't know 100 percent that he is a confederate no but no. at the same time that is the whole point of the civil war down to the, when you boil it down you know it's 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 brother against brother you know that's yeah. what a civil war is and it's an iron man versus a captain america it's a whole thing basically basically <laughs> um, you know. no 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 i like yeah like in all seriousness like, josie whale doesn't share the ideals of the confederates he just shares the um the uh, the ideal outcome which is killing the unionists but specifically the unionists that killed, that his, killed wife. his family yeah yeah no absolutely uh, yeah. it's pretty much john wick uh, which is what I boiled this. Bit. I don't know if you've watched John Wick, but like I have, this character have. is this character is pretty much John Wick, and that he is just out for revenge and no, kill as many no. people. No, what? you're wrong. What? John Wick is basically this character. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, modern fuck. <laughs> Um, it's been done before, boys. <laughs> uh, but just before, just before I get on to uh, any more of the movie, it's funny you mentioned that Clint Eastwood directed this uh, because he didn't start to direct it. He didn't begin as the director. Uh, no, like, I think he fired someone. He did. He he fired Philip Kaufman, who started to direct this movie. But Clint Eastwood replaced him, uh, which was apparently a very controversial move, which prompted the Directors Guild of America to institute a ban on any current cast or crew remember uh, crew member replacing the director on a movie a rule which has since been titled the eastwood rule because of mm. this movie so according to a biographer uh, mark elliott the reason why there was such a rift between eastwood and kaufman was apparently because both of the guys had asked uh, sandra Locke, who was the leading girl uh, woman in this role to dinner on the same night and um 
Several members of the cast and crew were unhappy with Eastwood and felt that, uh, you know, Kaufman had done a lot of the work uh, for which Eastwood later on took credit for. So according to them, it was Kaufman who had chosen the location, the costumes, who'd actually cast one of your favorite, uh, you know, characters, uh, Chief yeah, yeah. John George, after seeing him in uh, a 1970 movie, Little uh, Little Big Man. Um, so it's funny that, um, just to go on another slight tangent, which is the movie Aliens, uh, which was directed by uh, David Fincher, um he i think left that project uh, very early on but be- because of the director's guild of america he had done a certain percentage of the work so therefore his name mm. had to go on it and i know there's That's a special cool. rule where you can just like not put your name on it and you put some default name on it because he'd done a certain percentage of the rule a uh, c- certain percentage of the movie he had to go on it so mm-hmm. i think it's because of this whole eastwood rule um that what you call it they don't let you know other people get credited for this sort of stuff so it's nice to, it, it, it's weird to see that Clint Eastwood obviously benefited from you know uh, your man Kaufman doing a lot of the work and him taking credit for it but yet yeah. we see the opposite of that where Fincher did a bit of it but didn't want to be credited and it was finished, finished by someone else and he was like no please don't credit credit me for this and then the director's yeah. guild of america was like no 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 no! you did a lot of it your name's going on this garbage movie i know you have different yeah. thoughts about alien 3 but we won't get into it Keen. Um, we won't get into no it. we won't get into it um, I don't like but alien no but 3. like look that's a that's a huge thing about this movie i didn't know i didn't know that like it's so interesting that this movie that i'd never heard of was actually one of the main reasons why uh, acting oh sorry directing credits are the way they are currently yeah like i i didn't know that either like i'm you know i don't know you know, I, I don't really read into much of the facts of, like, the directors and, the you know, the making of the movie too much. But, like, you know, it doesn't <laughs> surprise me either hearing that kind of story about Clint Eastwood. But, um, you know, it, 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 I, fi- I do find it, like, in a lot of ways, a stand standout movie. Um, for the amount of Westerns that I've watched, it's, it, it is very different. Um, and I don't know, did that have a part to play in, play in it? But, uh... Well, why why I knew this would be an interesting one to do was because um, my father, who does not listen to these, so I can I can trash him all I want, uh, which is that he I, I don't I, like whenever he turned like fifty, I don't think he he ever watched a movie past nineteen seventy that didn't involve a western of any sort or the whatever year the movie was, the Flight of the Concord uh, or Flight of the Phoenix. That's why we get on so well. I think yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but. Uh, what you call it? I told him I was doing this. Uh, I said, oh, I'm doing a Clint Eastwood movie for the podcast, thinking he'd be like, oh, Gary, I'm so proud of you. And I, uh, No, I didn't get that. Uh, but oh. I was like, and he was like, which one are you doing? And I was like, oh, oh, uh, The Outlaw Josie Wales, to which my father went, why? Um, but I think it's, like, <laughs> I think, I think it's what you said. I think it's that it's different. It's not like any of the other ones. And, no, uh, it is. It's different. Yeah, because like, it, the, the, like, the original three that everyone knows, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the like, for a few dollars more, and like, they're just very, like, they're class. Okay, look, they're they're just class. Like, and I I didn't I didn't pick this movie because I think it's his best one. You know, like mm. the best one is going to be in the reeling in the years peers. You know, edition. So, you know, just uh, I'm just going to keep. I I I wanted. I want it documented. Um, 
<laughs> for anyone that doesn't isn't aware, me and Keen tried to do uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly podcast, and it just ended poorly. So I never released it. And Keen is just hoping that in years later it will be released as like a Snyder cut thing. But it will when, never. When see... you be no, when you become famous and when rich, I become. And... <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I don't have anything else. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to. Be, you have to become rich and famous, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do it anyway. um anyway uh no so like and even as i was saying like he did a film later than this uh or no he did a few before it like uh pale rider and some other ones that were a bit like there's some weird ones in there weird westerns uh pale rider is one of them and it's it's not one probably to do on a podcast but one that he did after this one, Unforgiven, is basically the story as well, except that he doesn't have the tag-along group. Like, it's he's a pure loner, and he's a pure, you know, what you expect Clint Eastwood, you know, um, gunslinger. And it's just him on his own doing his fucking thing, and it's great, and it's class, and it's whatever. But what I liked about this one was that he had a tag-along group, and yeah. it was a bit different, and there was... there. I like, like I said, my favorite character was the uh, the chief, the Indian chief. Like, but we talk, we, it's we, the, we talk about the Indian chief a bit more. So it's uh, it, it, it's it, it's L- uh, L- Lone Wati, I think it is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. We call him Chief Dan. We call him Chief Dan. Chief Dan. That's the name yeah, of the actor. Yeah. Um, he is phenomenal in this. He is like, the, 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 the lines he gets. Uh, so how you know uh, Josie Wales meets him is that he's obviously on the run um from this sort of uh, blue bellies as they're called blue bell- and he's just dropped his like there was one other uh, survivor of the, the we're not talking group about him was, we're not talking about he's him absolute so i'd never seen he was a little you've seen this about you've seen you've seen this about <laughs> you've seen this about 20 30 no i've times? seen it about four or five times my four god did i fucking hate this dude uh Jamie i think is his name Jamie What's his name? Yeah, Jamie. He, he's a little football. Uh, they, everyone just calls him boy. Like he, uh, just, he's. he's a I, I would ask you to use other terminology than fuckboy because that means but, different things. <laughs> but, but he's the only one that stood up to the unionists when they were handing in their guns. That's now, at true. the same time, he was an he, annoying fuck though. He was an annoying fuck, oh my and God. he didn't really know any better. He just but, took eight hours to die. It felt like. It, yeah, he did. He did not. He's not a good character, and there was a lot going wrong with him. You know, he he never had a good from the very beginning, I suspect. But at the same time, do you want to know the actor's name? Not really. I don't want to know anything about him. Sam Bottoms. <laughs> Sam. Okay. Well, which that is why I, so which much. is why I asked you to use other terminology. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I didn't make that up. Anyway, oh, tell me more okay. about Sam Bottoms' character. The little fuckboy. Um, Please, stop! <laughs> yeah, no. Like, he, uh... Like, he's... he's I, I don't know his age in the movie, but I can only... Like, he seems like he's 18, 19, maybe yeah, 20 young. years old. Like, he's very young, and he's part of this, like, Confederate militia group, and he's gone around killing these unionists for like the last i don't know how many years and like all of a sudden they're like one of the last big bands of confederates to to you know uh, give up 
you know, basically um, hand themselves over. And like he, you don't, you don't get much cause the movie kind of starts very quick and the opening scenes go very fast. Like you, you don't get to see too much of the, the interactions between the, the militia group, but yeah. you do see him looking up to Clint Eastwood a little bit, just in the way he looks at him. Um, and I, I think that's what I like a lot about these films is that like a lot of, there's not too much dialogue, but a lot of the facial expressions and the body, body language kind of suggests um, a lot of the, um, the relationships. And what you kind of see is that he, like he sits beside Clint Eastwood, he sits close to him and he, he's constantly kind of looking at him. So he looks up to him and when he notices that Clint Eastwood stand or like doesn't, like he, he refuses to give himself up. Um, like he, it obviously, you know, it obviously unsettles him a little bit and like when they are having to give the oath, like they have to give the oath before they surrender and um, the oath to the union, um, he, he ultimately refuses. He's not going to give in. And yeah. I did find that, you know, kind of compelling, like he, he's so young, um, and he like, you know, young people are often kind of you know, uh, considered to be willful, too willful and strong or like strong headed. And, you know, you're kind of thinking, oh, fuck it. Like just go along with the other fucking 30 members that have just handed themselves in. You know, they're like, they're, they're tired of the killing. They're tired of the war. They're tired of, but no, he's like, I believe in what I believe or whatever. And he does, but he's also very ignorant. I mean, Clint Eastwood, like his character, Josie Wales, he's doing it for different reasons. Mm. You know, um, he's not doing it for political reasons at all. It's all based on revenge. But what I kind of liked about the young lad is, um, you know, he he has a backbone. You know, he is a bit of a wuss when he gets shot and is dying and he (laughs) drags out his dying. But but at the same, he does have a backbone. He's refusing to give up. And it is ignorant in a lot of ways, you know, just fucking... Just take your, take your comeuppance. But at the same time, he doesn't give up, and you know he does make he he's a weak character after that. Like he, his dialogue isn't great, and his it, it's basically setting up Clint Eastwood's character. Yeah. yeah, it's it's there's there's a few flaws in this film which I which I do have and I'd like to discuss. Um, like it is a weak character, um, and his development from then on could be could have been done a lot better. I think. But, you know, ultimately, I, you know, like, I think a lot about these films is like, what would I do if I was in that situation? You know, you know, if I was an 18, 19, 20 year old guy in a civil, like, I think, he, you know, a lot could be said for that kind of, you know, but after being shot, like, you know, I, he didn't get too much character development after that. I, he, could, I, he couldn't have died sooner. He was just, he was dragging it out. He was just... He's slowing everything down, in my opinion. He Joe, was. He was. He, like, and, and that's what it was. That's what it was ultimately set up to be. And I think that's what was wrong with him. No, but at know? the same time, he's, in my opinion, he, he, he served a purpose, which was Clint Eastwood being able to look after someone besides himself. Uh, it which, showed the humanity in him. Yeah, which, which, which was able, you know, which allowed him to be able to, you know, incorporate uh, our good old friend, Chief Dan George, uh, into the posse. Uh, so he's like the first character. 
that's kind of introduced into this big posse. And yeah. like you say, probably the best. Uh, the dialogue is fantastic. But not only the dialogue, but just the performance of it uh, or, or the delivery of it, uh, which I have a quick thing about, which was because uh, he was actually quite old during mm. the production of this. Uh, and he apparently he had quite, he had trouble remembering his lines. So during the takes, Clint Eastwood were actually mouth his lines without realizing it uh but he had to be told to like stop doing that because you're actually ruining the takes because both of the characters would be kind of saying the same lines uh but apparently in one of like the you know featurettes or whatever of the movie uh eastwood would have said that like apparently he would drill people would come up to dan george and be like okay here's your lines this is what you're doing go go say it and then he would uh but apparently clint eastwood would go and be like chief forget your lines Tell me a story about the man who rode over the hill. And apparently Dan George, who was a quite a good natural storyteller, would just begin to tell would begin to say his lines, but because mm. he was such a good storyteller, he'd be able to like tell the story i.e. the dialogue perfectly um yeah. which just it because every line he says in this seems to be so genuine and yeah he just he like there's one weird scene in my opinion for his character which is when he just seems to like you know sleep with um What's her name? Uh, Little Moonlight. Uh, but like other than that, he seems like a reasonable character. Oh yeah, like, and like he's, you know, one can only imagine. Like it, it's an interesting character. Like I find any Indian kind of character in any of these westerns like very interesting because, like, you know, basically it's there. Like it's they offer so much more fucking insight. You know, like they they have a whole culture backing them, and you're you're just following. Like, he's just introduced as this old character, but, like, the kind of stuff, like, the experience and the the stuff that he brings behind him as a character, like, <laughs> you know, there's a scene in it with the fucking horned toad. Like, I love that whole dialogue, you know, of, you know, he's forgotten his old ways, yet yes, some of the things he I can really, remember. I really enjoyed that. Basically, like, and oh, what tribe was he part of? The Cherokee. Cherokee. The Cherokee yeah. tribe. Um so obviously there was more pacifist tribe, Indian tribes, and they were all bought over by the American, like, you know, the, uh, the settlers, um, uh, and bought over by money or booze or whatever, and persuaded into giving up their land as if it was, you know, a, a basic fucking colonialism, yeah. uh, colonialism. And, uh, he tells a great story about how um, how pretty much he's left alone or not bothered because he is recognised as being civilised, i.e. Yeah. abiding to the cultural standards of what, you know, the um, colonisers would see as what is right and normal. Um, and yeah, I, I, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't think I've watched a lot of Westerns. Um, I, I honestly think the two only two Clint Eastwood movies I've watched have been with you the good the bad and the ugly in this like besides like it, there's very few movies that kind of talk about that sort of you know Native American struggle uh, and this really highlights it quite well um, yeah. and I, I really did enjoy it and I thought uh, apparently it's I think there was something about how Native American viewers saw this uh, this movie got a lot of praise from Native American viewers because of its non-stereotypical portrayal of Native Americans in the movie which I really yeah. enjoyed and I just it, it, was, yeah. it was it was so just real and and, and yeah. so just like you could understand where they were coming from about how their land was literally taken from them and yeah. the only way they could you know be introduced or sort of accepted in society if they were like quote unquote civilized and yeah you know for, and, and and then he talks about how 
you know, he's he's been so trained to be civilized, as, as they call it, that he's actually forgotten his old ways, uh, which was so nice for his character, you know, at the old age that he was, um, to kind of realize that, yeah, I could still be a bit of a badass if I want to. He can, yeah, no, of course. And, like, it, you know, it, it is something that, uh, you know, I, I, I do pay attention to in a lot of, in a lot of Western movies. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about the tribes or anything. Like I haven't, history's not great or whatever, but like, I do love it as, um, he's so dignified yet mm. comical, but it's not comical. In, you're not laughing at him or anything. You're just laughing at his wit and, you know, his unfortunate situation. But at the same time, he remains very dignified. Um, in everything that he does and you can tell that like he doesn't do anything stupid do you know what i mean like well maybe towards the end he does something stupid but like his intentions are never stupid you know he he everything that he says is well thought out it's it's witty it's it's you know it's it's not done in haste and and in other westerns it's you know like i can't remember there there was one with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale and uh, a modern one done. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's not The Quick and the Dead anyway. That was with Leonardo DiCaprio. The, the 310 to Yuma, I think. And they had a line about... Um, it was a very good film, but they had a line about basically the... It was a film about the railroads or whatever, and they had a line, line about uh, Indians. And the Indians left over after the war. Um, and it was the ones that were left over were the fucking nastiest, you know. They were ones that refused to fight. They were the or not refused to fight, but refused to give in. And it, and it kind of portrayed them in a very negative light. And I don't really like that because you know it. It's it's again this kind of same kind of fucking shite. Like it, you know, these guys were kind of promised a lot and you know didn't get it. And um, basically, and um, they didn't. And, you know, kind of to jump forward in the movie a little bit to when Josie Wales is talking to uh, Ten Bears, the Indian chief, a lot of it is word or like vocalized bonds, you Mm. know, promises between men vocally, you know, but globalization as what it is like or, you know, colonialism, like say you know when someone gives their word fine okay you can forget about it because the chances of those two people meeting again will probably never happen you know so he'll have to never have to bear the consequences if he doesn't follow through with his promises so the indians probably got the raw end of the they lost all their land because of these kind of promises um and that's why i like ten bears so much and later on i i think it adds so much value to the interaction with the indian chief ten bears because it adds this because uh, Chief Dan George or whatever his name is that he has so much dignity attached to his character it adds a lot more value to Josie Wales interaction with Ten Bears towards the end because yeah. it keeps the the value the dignity um, if his interaction was purely comical um, then it wouldn't have the same traction. No, and yeah, absolutely, and, and no, but like in all seriousness, like the lone Wate, if that's how you pronounce it, I, I, I don't know. Um, he, he's such a, he's such an integral part in that, both in terms of, 
uh, providing quite necessary comical relief within the movie, uh, but also providing uh, an insight and perspective to Clint Eastwood's character that he wouldn't have if he was alone. Um, speaking of that as well, um, Little Moonlight is another character that kind of allows him to have another different perspective on things. And even though, you know, she's not um, his main goal, like obviously uh, he rescues her from a certain situation. Um, he's not there for her. He's here for something else. And yeah. because of who the character he is, and potentially what happened to him in his past, he's able to kind of recognize that's someone in trouble and he should help. Yeah. But like, and I was going to say like that, that's like, it's a theme that's running throughout this film is that, and, and you do tend to forget it for someone who's not paying too much attention. Like you do forget that this is a film based on revenge. Um, like I, th- I think it's the chief that does say it. He says like, I can't remember who exactly he says it to. But it's basically, you know, um, hell, you know, he's talking about um, Josie Wales. It's basically hell is where he's headed. Um, and is if hell you... is coming to breakfast? No, no, no. It's it's at the very beginning of the film. And I can't remember where he's, um, where who's he, who he's saying it to. But basically hell, it, whenever, whenever Josie Wales is around, basically hell is mentioned an awful lot in this film. Um, and it's basically because everyone recognizes the fact that he it's obvious to everyone who's looking closely at him that he's lost everything Hmm. you know someone who's basically a drifter like that who's got a name the way he does who's killed as many men as he has he's not a good person but at the same time if you look a little bit deeper you know it may be justified yeah. Um, just just by we having that point as well. Would you like to know how many people Josie Wales kills in this movie? Take a guess. Oh, stop. hold on. Let me just I play th- the Gary's going to ask him a uh, question, and we'll play some game show music during it. Something that was cut out of the Big Lebowski because it went on for far too long. Keen, how can many- I uh, can I say this? Yeah. Keen, I just want to know how many people also okay, yeah. So basically I'm just asking Keen just go So look, all I'm gonna say is that we're putting this segment in. It wasn't in the Big Lebowski podcast because it was way too long. So Keen just go, how many people were killed in this movie by the hands of Josie Wales? Okay, uh maybe sixty, seventy. You were closer with sixty, fifty-five. 55 okay well i had a feeling toward like at the beginning he killed a fuckload of people but i assume that's where the majority of them were killed oh no keen just go we're gonna play that music back again gary from the future we can play some more game show music keen up just go i'm gonna ask you what is the entire body count of this movie uh 85 86 <clears throat> it's 138 138. Oh, I was going to go 100. Sure look. Uh, but also, just to just to point out that apparently this is the second highest body count uh, in a Clint Eastwood movie. And Gary, if you can play that game show music once again, really? I'm going to ask you, Kino Jusco, what ha- what movie has the highest Clint Eastwood body count? Oh, uh, chances are I've watched it. I feel like it's still a western. 
Okay, I've looked it up briefly. It's not a western. Okay, that might be It's a movie called Where Eagles Dare. Nah, I haven't seen it. Anyway, it looks like it's something about World War II. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. So, Kian, you just, you just strike dead. You strike dead there all together. You say you know Clint Eastwood. Disgraceful. I do know him for the most part. In his westerns, anyway. Yeah. But, uh... Uh, but uh, but yeah. So who else we got in this? We so we we now have we so hold on. We have wait, wait. Uh, Chief Dan George in the tro- in this sort of posse. Yeah, yeah. We have Little Moonlight in this posse. Uh, there's also another person uh, added to this posse who may not be human, but also is a quite an integral part of this movie. <laughs> wait, no, I'm talking about this. the dog that Clint Eastwood spits oh, on maybe five to six dog. times during this movie. Yeah, no, because like. Yeah, no, well, just to kind of go back through the plot a little bit, because, like, we're kind of, we haven't really gone through it too much, but basically, like, once he finds, I think he, I think he picks up the dog, um, I don't know where, it, it's not really specified where he picks up the dog, but basically after he meets uh, Chief Dan George or whatever, um, he basically heads west or south towards Mexico. I north think. and um, then southwest. North and then southwest. Wrong. Um, what? Sorry, no, I, no, no, I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just tell me I'm right. You're right. That yeah. is a sound clip I have forever. Fantastic. Continue, <laughs> continue kid. Um, he basically goes towards this, like, uh, it's basically like a centra, I think in the midwestern sort of sense mm. in that you know it's got all your roll with three salads you, one meat you can a, yeah no, you can get a, yourself a, a soft drink roll. and a pack of crisps uh basically he he encounters this shopkeeper and he's looking for a horse for chief dan george but in there he finds two i assume they're bounty hunters who are miscreants basically miscreants who were harassing a uh, little moonlight little moonlight who is uh, supposedly an employee of the shop or whatever but you can be she can be seen to be beaten earlier on in the scene um, yeah. by the shop owner um, for dropping a bottle of whiskey um, in front of two other indians who have brought pelts a carnal sin sell. in my opinion it is a carnal sin. <laughs> it's not a good scene no, um, no, it's not a good scene. I, I was just more so upset of the, uh, of the sheer disrespect for whiskey. <laughs> no, and like it is something I like about this film is that it doesn't brush over um, probably some of the treatments that you know absolutely uh, yeah probably did occur. Yeah. You know, a lot of the you think it's all kind of rosy, you know, like a gunslinger western sort of film, and then you do see some scenes that kind of turn your head a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, one, one, one later on, we can talk about as well, where it was yeah, quite hard to watch. It's, it's quite hard to watch. Um, and I do like that about Clint Eastwood films. I, I don't know, is it he, uh, or is, like, is he the initiator of them or whatever, but like he, he does, like, films that he is in, like, they, he doesn't brush over them. Um and I appreciate that watching them because it, it just makes it more real. Yeah. Um, but in the, yeah, so those two bounty hunters or whatever they are, like, or I don't know if they're bounty hunters, but they, they recognize him as Josie Wales, who has a bounty on his head now after, um, $5,000, $5,000 after killing the, um, the unionists group at the beginning. And, um, 
they try to you know get him to surrender and he and he shoots them um and he rescues little moonlight from um basically being raped mm-hmm. um and you know he returns basically to chief dan george <laughs> and it's a it's a really nice it's a funny scene because uh he returns to Chief Dan George and he can't find him. And then suddenly you see that Chief Dan George has pulled a gun on him. Yeah. And he's saying, well, look, now I've snuck up on you. Yeah. Um, earlier, he couldn't do that because he's he exclaims that he's too old to sneak up on anyone anymore as an Indian. Um, and they make a joke of it. But here he has actually snuck up on Clint Eastwood, um, Josie Wales. But he hasn't realized now that Clint Eastwood is old actually rescued another Indian who was snuck, who up, snuck on up, Dan up on Dan George. Yeah. <laughs> so as uh, Dan George is, is holding a gun to Clint Eastwood, Little Moonlight is holding a gun to Dan George and says, yeah. well, you know, cop the fuck on here. Yeah. Um, so it's a nice interplay. And then the three of them basically set out to kind of, you know, just get away. Yeah. Go west, I think it is, or south, southwest. Um, to Texas or Mexico. Um, yeah, because what 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 um, Josie Wales is pretty much trying to do is he's just trying to form my more people kind of similar to himself that kind of have that sort of uh, he's looking for more people that haven't surrendered uh, to the Unionists. Uh, but again, less so to do with ideals, more to more to do with who will fight alongside him to pretty much allow him to seek revenge. Um, but uh, so yeah, so I think after this, don't we come into that town? Uh, Santa something or other I cannot yes. remember um, I can't remember either. but he comes into this bar and he kind of orders oh no apologies I'm jumping very far ahead uh, which is that um, he comes across these people from Kansas uh, a, a mother and a, a sorry no a grandmother and a granddaughter uh, who are kind of coming from Kansas to uh, they're kind of uh, traversing the, the trails if you will and um, from someone who uh, I, I imagine this is what I sound like to you, where it's like, yeah, no, I, I'm absolutely from Kansas. Yeah, no, uh, we're actually just passing through. Uh, I've heard, I've heard of things about out this way, but uh, no, like we're from Kansas now, and uh, yeah, it'd be she's, quite, it'd be she's quite interesting now to to see things from Mississippi. But like, you know, if I'm honest, Kansas is a bit of a, you know, it's pretty cool being from Kansas. <laughs> I don't care much for who she is myself. <laughs> she's a bit, uh, yeah, no, she's, she's a, a bit, bit uptight. She's a bit. She's a bit uptight. She she has notions. Notions. Uh, oh, there we go. Keno Driscoll. Spot on. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we're yeah. introduced to those characters. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're they're buying things from a convenience store. Josie Wells is also there. He kind of locks eyes with his granddaughter. He's like twenty something or other she's she's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just yeah. want to make it's not like a young child um but, no. but but then also uh you know josie wales gets spotted and this is another great line i really enjoyed uh which is like the standoff and like look I, I like the whole clint eastwood thing western thing has been parodied to bits but uh there were uh, genuinely some bits i was watching this and i i really enjoyed the sort of the hey punk uh, yeah i'm gonna shoot you that sort of stuff i do a very uh, my 
Clint Eastwood impression is basically just ripped off of um, Jim Carrey's uh, Clint Eastwood. But um, he comes ac- he comes across these four uh, blue bellies or unionists, and hmm. uh, Dan George asks him later on, "How did you know which one to shoot for?" And he goes, "Well, you know, the one in the middle. He clearly he had his gun on un- like unlatched, so he was ready to shoot." Second to the right, he, you know, he, he didn't look like he was going to shoot anyone. The guy on the far left, he had crazy eyes, so I had to watch out for him. So I shot the guy, you know, so that's who I looked after. And then Dan George is like, what about the guy on the far right? And then uh, Clint Eastwood was like, I knew you had him. And, uh, which is kind of like a cool, like, you know, Clint Eastwood being like, yeah, don't, I, I knew you had him. That's why I didn't even think about him. But yeah, like yeah. Dan George does a great job being like, what if I missed? <laughs> like, so, so it was <laughs> yeah. really great to see this whole, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood kind of, you know, macho bravado kind of thing. Uh, but you know, Dan George kind of being, again, he like, that's the name of the actor, chief Dan George. Uh, but to kind of have this whole thing of being like, Oh, but what if I missed though? You'd be fucked. Um, yeah, yeah. So that whole scene happens. And I think then after that, um, they, they come across this, um, you know, the Kansas people in the desert being, pretty much attacked or raided i suppose is a good word well they yeah no they were um raided by camancheros which are basically bandits who i think raided and pillaged for uh the comanche you know they sold their loot to the comanche tribe you know for booze and guns and whatever we've all been there um Oh yeah, no, for sure. You know, I went through a bit of a rough, rough patch myself there a few years ago. Um, I remember the time you were just getting fucking. You were just raiding people for AK forty sevens on a nice bottle of Blackbush. Look, do you know I? I would have done it for a pint of Guinness. <laughs> do you know, and the way things are going at the moment, I'd do it again. <laughs> um, well been there, but uh, yeah, no. So like it, you know, after like. After he kills those people in that town, um, it's himself and the chief, they escape, but they, they leave behind um, Little Moonlight, who eventually catches up to them um, later on, like a short time later on, and um, they're making their way along and they, they recognize like certain trails um, throughout, like they're going through some like desert um, and they recognize that there's like a wagon like a wagon train you know a few wagons and horses and they're like okay you know there's a good few there's a good few you know horses going through here you know maybe you know what's going on and they then they notice some smoke and it's little moonlight that you know kind of spots out okay like maybe these people have been um attacked by comancheros yeah and they decide to look out or have a look see what's happened and then they realize that it is these people from kansas and it's the old lady and her granddaughter um and yeah so they they have a look see and try and investigate sneak up and see what they can do about it they're going that way anyway and uh they they end up trying to spy on the the camp or whatever of these uh, comancheros and i think this is where um, Chief Dan George, George kind yeah. of fucks up. Yeah. yeah, he like he does fuck up. Like he has a clumsy he, moment. He knocks where he... over a rock that's been clearly placed by the production crew <laughs> for him to knock. Well, my 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 view on nature is that I don't really know how glaciation works. But oh, like, if it leaves a stone, <laughs> if it leaves a no, stone there, it fucked. leaves a stone no, there. Fuck off. <laughs> You know, my, my knowledge of the Ice Age in the Midwest and, uh, you 
know, 10,000 BC. It might, have, it, it might have left a stone just there. Because, I don't know. Just because you were born in Ireland's only fjord doesn't give you the fucking right to shine, <laughs> to lecture me about fucking glaciation. Gary, Gary, sometimes stones are left there. Oh, get the fuck on, move on. What, what's, what's happening <laughs> after this? Come on. So he knocks over this fucking stone that rolls down into their camp and they all were like, Oh, now hang on. Obviously, the fuck, like someone's there, you yeah. know. So, but okay, we're yeah. No, to be fair, now I'm jumping over a scene that is a bit traumatic that I'd like to touch on. But it is basically they're all they've just captured this Kansas, um, this little traveling group from Kansas that are coming from Kansas, and they've basically killed all the men in the group. Um, one of them which is i assume the husband of the grandmother yeah. um, because she cries over the body and they're focusing in on the the younger female the granddaughter and it's quite a disturbing scene yeah, really. it's very it's very rough um like all the men are basically you know um focusing in on her and they like they try and attack her and tear her clothes off, or you know, and you just assume that they're going to 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 rape her. But eventually, like eventually, the the leader of the Camancheros, um, he he puts a stop to this. Um, and in the background, you can see, you know, Clint Eastwood is just about to take a shot. Um, yeah. at them, but Sambuca, he pulls back. Isn't it? <laughs> No, something something for this heavy hitting you need a tequila. I'd say. Um, but he pulls back just as he sees the the leader, put in saying, yeah. "Look, no, don't do like, don't you dare like." As she is, she'll she'll bring in a, a much better price, and it's a real derogatory sort of frame of mind. Um, but they're they're willing to sell her to the um, the Cherokee, no, uh, the Comanche. Yeah. Um, to ten bears, this tribal leader, ten bears, um, as a virgin, she will, you know, obviously bring more wealth or a bigger price. Um, it's a really disturbing kind of raw scene. Yeah. Um, so they they all stop and they all pull back or whatever. And but just after this, um. Uh, Chief Dan George, he's spying on them with uh, Clint Eastwood, but Chief Dan George knocks over this stone or whatever and it rolls down the hill into the camp and they all spot it and they all go running out with guns loaded looking for him. Uh, Clint Eastwood kind of escapes, maneuvers out, but they capture Chief Dan uh, Dan George. Um, and just to, just to, just before we go too far off it, um, so even though this you know movie had a lot of violence in it, um, there was an attempted rape scene. There was a you know with brief nudity and a sex scene in itself. Uh, this movie was P. This movie is P- rated PG for parental guidance. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. You know, back in the day where they were just like, oh sure, what? Let the kids watch whatever the fuck they want. Um. But I don't know if you That's know, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. So apparently it's the only PG-rated Western that has been directed by Clint Eastwood. I find that very interesting. Yeah. Um, it, because a lot of that scene, like as disturbing as it is, a lot of that scene is, um, I, I, you know, it, it is, it's really wrong. Um, it's really disturbing. 
but I think a lot of the the shots are done really well yes. in their interpretation to to portray that feeling yeah. because okay there's some nudity involved not much but it's it's still some nudity it, it, it's but not it's lewd. more in, it's, it's it's not lewd yeah it, it it's told in a dramatic sense do you know what I mean it, it's in terms of the camera angles and the shots yeah. it's very fast moving shots of the scene like it switches back and forth very quickly yeah high intensity music yeah it's, that's something I want to talk about as well. The score when we get a chance. Yeah, no, for sure. Like it, it's the like it's it's more focusing on the intent. Yes, um, very true. Yeah, and you know, without showing anything. But again, at the sense, like it doesn't matter whether it's PG or whatever. Like it, you get you get the sense that something wrong is really happening, and it it. it you know, I, I think that's something about the movie is that like it showed a lot of very real things of that time yes. uh, without really actually having to show them. Yeah. You know, and I think that's something to be commended for in terms of the film, the film um, or the cinematog- uh, cinematography. Very true. Um, um, but by the way, did you know that Clint Eastwood and the actress were a couple in real life? I didn't. They were married for a couple of years. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And but also this was one of this was the first of six movies that they did together. I did. She has appeared in a few of the other Westerns. I did know that, but I didn't know they were a couple. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but also you mentioned the score, which uh, I have written down in my notes as kind of like, I, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't used quite a lot. It was, it was very sparingly used. Uh, but apparently, uh, well, not apparently I did read that it was nominated for uh, an Oscar for best original you know, music score. Uh, but in 1996, so this movie came out in 1976, so 20 years after it came out, it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. It also is one of very few uh, Western films to receive critical and commercial success uh, in the 1970s at a time when the Western was thought to be dying as a major genre in Hollywood. Uh, hmm. other, like again I'm just like reading some notes I took about it so uh, the budget was 3.7 million but it actually made 31 million uh, so like 100% nearly increase <laughs> um, oh, yeah. but yeah like I said it, it, it's a movie thousand maths and um, <laughs> but uh, yeah it, it's a movie that I've never heard of but yeah that when I saw it, it had received so much uh, high acclaim but not only from like you know, the Hollywood, uh, you know, the United States Library of Congress, but also from Clint Eastwood himself, uh, because apparently during one of the DVD releases of this movie, he said that it's certainly one of the high points of his career, uh, specifically yeah. in the Western genre of filmmaking. And that's like, that's what I kind of like most about it is because it's like, you look at some of the more hard hitting films of his like Western collection, like The Unforgiven or the Spaghetti Westerns, like that, or High Plains Drifter. Well, no, High Plains Drifter is very, um, it's very raw as well. Like it's, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted. Really, a lot more than this one. Um, but he, like, he's basically just telling a story of a man in that situation, you know, and that's it. It's not brushing up. It's not, you know. So they do include the scenes of, say. The young man dying at the very beginning, like good riddance. You know, my, just get the good fuck, riddance. Get the myself fuck and yourself, my God, are a bit 
My God, myself did he must be killed <laughs> off early on. Myself and yourself are a bit, you know, not very sentimental about him, but like others might be. Uh, so might if be they are, get rid of them. <laughs> Kill them off too. It might be a bit more uh, hard hitting. Um, and then like the scenes where the moonlight in the shop is yeah. getting attacked as well. Yeah. And then later on with Laura Lee, uh, Laura Lee, like things like that. Scenes like that, they're more hard hitting. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're very real. Like, it's very realistic to the to the time and the setting, but it, and also to the savage nature of the time that they were living in. Yeah. Um, but also, like his negotiation with um, Ten Bears at the end, I like. I don't know, but like, I'd feel like it's very much. I feel like it's realistic. You know, in terms of. Like, these guys, like, the Indian, okay, like, you know, <laughs> if you just argue for your your place or your, you know, uh, you know, what you want, and if you're fair and if you're whatever, then sure, okay, something can be agreed upon. Yeah. But when you're dealing with the likes of the, the red legs or things like that, you know, the, the bandits or you know the the militia groups who are only out to loot and to you know uh seize whatever they can you know just because of you know showing strength then of course the indians are always going to fight back as savagely as they can but because you know towards the end like clint eastwood just rides up to the indian camp and you know he he says his piece you know then maybe maybe you can live with you know some sense of peace yeah you know um so like i do find it a very intriguing movie in that way and that it like you know a sap like and it's up until that point that the indians are you don't like you're expecting it to go that there's going to be a major attack from the indians you know you're going to like you expect them to be as savage as they're portrayed to be you know they're heading into comanche nation yeah you know you expect something bad to happen but at the same time, you don't expect Clint Eastwood to do what he did. Um, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, just to skip uh, very quickly, Keen, if you don't mind, uh, which is that, um, you know, obviously they they stop off in that town, they go into a bar, they gather more people for their posse. Uh, the only other yeah. thing I really wanted to quickly mention was that apparently uh, one of the bartenders, uh, Kelly, who is uh, played by an actor called Mark Clark, Clark um, who... Um, also was in another movie that you may know, which is a a, mo- a little known movie. I don't know if you know. It's from nineteen ninety called Back to the Future Three, where he also plays a bartender, uh, serving Marty McFly, who's going under the name of Clint Eastwood. Uh, Joe, when it goes back to the western, <laughs> and he's playing the bartender. So I thought that was a nice little nod, nod that the actor in this was also in Back to the Future, playing the same <laughs> character, both serving. Clint Easter, which I thought was quite good. Um, That's cool. But, but uh, yeah, so they, they they go on to the posse, and then what happens is because they've kind of gathered these goods from, like, when they picked up those Kansas people, those cows and such, they kind of make the settlement in, is it the nephew or the son of the of the grandmother it's from Texas? It's the son. No, it's the son of the grand... Uh, it's the grandmother of uh, little... Or Laura, Laura Lee. Lee. yeah. But it's the father of Laura Lee. Ah, yes. So, so, so they set up in her household. It's a three-generational sort of... Yes. 
um, so they, they yeah. kind of set up there uh, and they're kind of just getting ready for I suppose a potential war um, but that's when like you say when when uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, Josie Wales goes to kind of meet up with uh, Ten Bears because two of the lads from the bar that they kind of went to kind of got abducted and, and Clint Eastwood goes to them and kind of reasons with them uh, which is which was yeah because it's great that you mentioned it because that's what I was thinking I was expecting a war between that usual cowboy Indians sort of dynamic, but it's not oh, really. Yeah. It's, it, it's more that sort and, of. And up until that point, like it's, it's, that's what you expect because when it pans to the scene of like those two guys that were captured were like laborers of, uh, that Kansas woman's sons. Like they used to work for him, but they were captured, um, by 10 bears and like he has them buried up to there, like the neck, and it's a real like I I can't remember exactly what the form of torture is, but it, like it's basically burying them alive, waiting for it's, like ants or something. I, I, to... I vaguely remembered from uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's follow-on from The Mummy Returns, The Scorpion King, where he's buried from the neck down. I don't know that. I haven't watched that. Ah, uh, anyway. Orla. I've watched the mummies, Orla but I haven't watched that. I don't know. Or, Orla might get it. Yeah. I know she likes the rock. I like the rock too, actually. Yeah, I like all the rocks. <laughs> Sedimentary. Graphite. Uh, no, graph. Ignatius. Yeah. Sedimentary. Sedimentary. I love them all. Anyway, so because uh, this is going on far too long. Um, so, basalt. Basalt. Oh my god! Uh, don't get me started on the stalactites and the stalagmites. Shale. <laughs> Quartz, limestone, the burn, the burn, sandstone. That's how uh, rivers and waterfalls are formed. <laughs> if anyone wants, to, if anyone wants the Kino Driscoll and Gary O'Brien walks you through your junior city geography podcast, you can join into reeling in the meanders, which where we talk about different sort of uh, land fucking thing. The, the yeah. use of the load to a road. <laughs> it's quarter past one in the morning. Could we wrap this up? <laughs> never, never. Um. So yeah. So yeah. No, basically, he's uh, he's he's got these two lads, these uh, laborers, buried to the neck. Um, they're still alive, but like it, it looks like an extreme, like uh, you know, form of torture or whatever, whatever it may be. Like, are they going to be eaten alive or by ants or whatever? But. Uh, all you see then is is Josie Wales riding up to the camp alone in front of these 30, 40 Indians of the Comanche. Um, and you know they're they're pretty, you know, hard hitting Indians or whatever, and they're they, they mean business. But he argues very well in the defense of his five or six comrades, you know, and what he wants. He just wants peace. Like, he's not bullshitting. Um, and Ten Bear seems to respect this, you know. He's come here alone in front of 10 to 20 to 30 warriors, mm. you know, and he's not afraid to die. He's showed that, you know. Okay, so when you show someone that you're not afraid to be killed, you know, what What else is there? Yeah. Okay, you've nothing left to prove. Okay, um, you're not afraid to die, so what else can he do to you? Okay, and Clint Eastwood isn't the kind of person who, he doesn't, 
he doesn't really give a fuck about the two people that are buried. He, he doesn't really give a fuck about anyone else, to be honest, because from the very beginning, he's lost his family, you know, and that's the thing. Like, he's lost everything already. Yeah. He's going through the motions and he's slowly rebuilding a moral character. But as it stands, you know, take it or leave it, he's just trying to do what's right for what's given in front of him, you know. Um, and he's arguing for these innocent people who have somewhat of a, a normal semblance of life. And I think that's something that Ten Bears accepts and respects and you know uh values okay look your your words have iron your words of peace have iron i think is what he says yeah but your words have violence have also iron in them which i kind of find quite nice you know because he respects the fact that clint eastwood means okay look if you want to fight we'll fight but also if you want peace you want peace and it's word to word it's mouth to mouth it's person to person it's not just written down on some piece of paper, which can later be betrayed because you know you'll never meet this person again. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the deal that a lot of the Native Americans were probably given. You know, they never met the people that wrote those, you know, uh, contracts. They never met them again. You know, they didn't need to. Yeah. But, you know, when word of mouth is given and you know you're going to see that person again, well, then it means a lot more. So I, I find that con like quite nice and quite realistic. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, they decided in the end to leave that ranch alone and leave the Kansas, you know, uh, train or the, the Kansas, uh, I don't know what you call them, uh, the, the couple, the, the grandmother and the daughter and her, her followers or whatever, posse. They, they just posse to, to leave them alone. Yeah. Um, um, but, but there's a, it, it, to skip to the end slightly, is that like, there's someone who doesn't want to leave that posse alone. Fletcher. 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 So he is the, the red leg who originally he, he, he was burned like the, down. He was like the leader of the Confederates that didn't, that kind of, like you said, quote unquote, sold them out. No, no. Fletcher. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No. Fletcher is oh, the, the leader. Put a loud siren or something in the like something to just celebrate this moment. That'd be great. Cheers and thank you. No, no, I keep I keep mixing up him and uh, Terrell. Terrell. Um, mm, but I didn't, so it's very important. No, that no, no, Gary no, in the future. Gary, you made a siren there just to be like celebratory. The keen fucked up. Thank you. Well, I, I just want to point out that I have been um, quietly on the slide topping up my fist glass without sound effects. Keen, I will say from a quiet quiet point of view i have been editing out all of those loud uncorkings so don't you worry <laughs> um yeah no so fletcher no it's terrell first terrell has has stumbled upon them um terrell has stumbled upon the the farmstead and the ranch he has come across the town where they first met up with the kansas couple and he has found the ranch now where they're like hiding out where they're residing mm. and he comes with his posse um, and I suppose the posse uh, or 
the Kansas kind of group or whatever and Clint Eastwood are quite fortunate in the sense that the homestead and the ranch is quite well fortified like the, the house is really well built and whatever and they can withstand an attack and Terrell does come with a big group of people like you know and they try to force um, Josie Wales out and you know uh, they attack the house or whatever and they do fend them off they do, uh, you know, fight off the majority of them. Terrell does escape back to the town, but there's like, oh, there's a great line. Um, oh, what is it? Just check those notes you said you weren't taking during the podcast, King. Oh, we skipped so many good fucking quotes. Hell is coming to breakfast. I fucking said that earlier. Can I go to the bathroom? Please, I'm. I swear to I'm fucking burst. Okay, Kim, we need to bring this home. So, how does this movie end? Okay, so this movie basically ends, and he's just finished his. They've just finished their shoot off back at the ranch. Uh, Terrell has you know, uh, galloped away on his horse or whatever, back to the town. Uh, most of his his band of mercenaries or whatever, his, his uh, red legs, they've been killed or shot. But uh, Terrell has also been shot and Clint Eastwood, Josie Wales, he, uh, he follows him, basically. He, uh, he rides off to, to, uh, to finish the job, essentially. Mm. And uh, he does that, and then the following scenes are uh, basically him catching up to him in the town, and he confronts him. And it's a great scene where, during the scene at the ranch, Josie Whale has basically, you know, shot all of his bullets. He's expended everything that he has, shooting off everyone. So he basically confronts Terrell and uh, in some fucking corner of an alley. And he pulls two pistols and he walks towards Terrell, uh, basically firing on Terrell every step. But each step is a misfire because he has no more ammunition. Uh, yeah, ammunition. And once he expels those 12 barrels, right, he picks out his next two pistols and he, again, has no more ammunition. Um, and... Yeah, and it basically like he's fired all his bullets, and it's just the two of them standing there. And the difference is, Terrell has a sword, and Terrell tries to push on Josie Wales, but Josie Wales catches its arm, and it's basically just like a fucking muscle off. Yeah, fucking Josie Wales ends up reversing it on him and stabbing him and killing Terrell and the man who killed his family, basically. Yeah. So it is sweet, sweet revenge getting that sweet sweet fucking revenge and yeah like that's it and the scene then kind of switches back to okay you know a few hours passed i think and they're they're in that town but basically a few more riders ride up into the town and it's uh it's oh what's his fucking name um fletcher fletcher from the original band of the uh the confederates and a few more, maybe law enforcers right up into the town, and they're looking for Josie Wales, saying that, oh, look, he might have written through here. 
and you know the the bartender and the few of the people that are in the town and uh, were at the bar at the time uh, communicating with these law enforcers are saying look Josie Wales has been shot he's been killed yeah he's there's no more Josie Wales and Josie Wales is in the bar as well looking at them but he calls himself like Mr. Wilson or something doesn't he <laughs> yeah Mr. Wilson but he sees uh, Fletcher and Fletcher sees him and they're the only two in the bar that recognize each other yeah um, and the two other law enforcers are completely oblivious and they're they're all just spinning this tale to say that Josie Wales is dead but Fletcher and Josie Wales both know that okay maybe this war is done um yeah you know and he comes out with a great line that is basically just saying that like you know we all died a little in that war you know um like every like everyone had a price price to pay in that war and why don't we just kind of let peace speak for itself you know if you let me go you know if uh if Fletcher lets Josie Wales go why would that be such a bad thing you know he's found his peace now you know he doesn't have to avenge his family anymore just let him be yeah Fletcher doesn't have to keep coming after him because I, I I don't know if we said it at the beginning but Fletcher kind of felt compelled to go after Josie Wales after kill after him killing all the unionists yeah uh, purely because like Josie Wales has kind of defied him and that like he was kind of happy to surrender over to the unionists but Josie Wales was the only one that kind of you know yeah, that. That um, yeah so it's like that act of defiance nearly kind of fuels Fletcher's sort of uh, ambition to bring him to what he sees as justice or the right thing to do um so yeah I really enjoyed that I, I think it's a great an- ending for the character I wouldn't like to see him die um I know uh like uh, he gets with Laura Lee during this movie uh which I know in the book apparently they marry uh, and have a son called Jamie uh but apparently Clint Eastwood for this movie wanted to leave that idea because he doesn't like uh he he doesn't like the idea of him being domesticated um yeah. d- during during any of his movies um but I like the idea of him like literally like <clears throat> excuse me running into the sunset or running into the sunset and you know kind of living to you know fight another day and I think like I said of the two Clint Eastwood movies I've seen uh, I think you've picked two very good ones and two ones that I actually enjoy watching and, and, and like you said there's that difference of you know one with him having a posse and people that depo- uh, depend upon uh, but also having to be responsible for uh, whereas in the last one it was very him out for himself so um, I think of the um, two I've watched uh, this one was quite different but also you know very very enjoyable yeah no and like I know westerns are a bit outdated or a bit you know whatever but like i quite like them in the sense that they tell a very common story that's told in modern terms you know like john wick or it's that it's that classic fucking you know story of you know the lone wolf or the lone ranger who's got nothing to lose and he's out for revenge and but it's all been done before and it's done before in a more realistic sense you know in terms of these real life stories during the civil war in america or you know you know other scenarios but they're told in more realistic sort of senses and, you know, I, I quite like them in terms of the story that they tell, the setting that they're in and the landscape that they're in as well. You know, like, you know, Midwestern America or, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Deep South, you know, Texas, New Mexico, like they're cool settings. It's basically like the last frontier and especially with the Indian tribes as well, like it, they're really good stories. They're really raw. They're really um, 
they're like they're full of history and they're full of like emotion that are very hard to like I, i'm just pulling you up on an hour i just saying it as well because you mentioned it because joe like i do enjoy the joe wick films and or the john wick films and uh you know they're they're told on such a more uh intimate level like they they have so much more history attached than you know what's told nowadays with the same sort of like plot line and you know it just means a lot more as a movie like i i like these slow burner movies like i i don't like well i do like them but like they don't have the same weight you know when someone says john wick to me like it's you know they're great i like them they're good action but like they don't stand out the same way as these kind of westerns so you know i i do like these westerns a lot and they have great stories and it's good acting absolutely absolutely and i i think what i enjoyed most about during this was um probably to your detriment was that i was like i was calling how different scenes would go during the movie i'm like oh i bet this happens and oh i can see this happening but i i imagine that's only because so many so many other movies have taken influence from these from these westerns and from these Clint Eastwood movies uh, that they've been like that's how I've been able to kind of understand maybe where certain scenes or storylines are going um so yeah it was it was quite interesting for me as someone that likes kind of movies to be able to kind of see the origins for a lot of that stuff um sure but it's yeah. and that's why I'm so grateful that uh, and I do mean that sincerely to be you know force is a strong word but to be able to be recommended these movies by yourself and to kind of have that accountability that the two of us you know would have to talk about it afterwards so i am i'm and quite like I, I i i just want to say like i i don't know who listens to these but i just want to say like the clint the clint eastwood movies aren't by in no means the uh the originals you know like they're not you know there's there's films that have done this before them uh in that sense you know so these are Again, these are just pretty much copies of films that have gone before. But like, yeah. you know, Clint Eastwood is very good in portraying both sides of the story. Mm. And I think that's what he's done in terms of, you know, Gen- like Chief Dan George and, you know, uh, Ten Bears as well as um, the American Settlers. Like he portrays a very good, you know, character in terms of being able to, you know, give a story of both sides. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what this podcast has been. It's been a it's it's been a podcast of two sides, and I guess so. So look, I think I think that is that is the movie, uh, the outlaw Josie Wales. So, uh, Mister Keno Driscoll, it's mad to me that you're only on for the second time, but again, it's it's much appreciated. So, thank you very much, Gary. I I love being on. I I love listening to the podcast. I don't know how good I am at fucking speaking on them, because uh, I. I don't go to the movies much. I like looking at old films, but, uh, you know, it's nice to, it's nice just to have a fucking chat with you about a movie. So, and I think that's what this was. So it's what that was, but like, you know, it's, let's just say Keen, I think you're one of the more recent guests that may be on sooner rather than later. And that's something that either will or won't happen. And I'm just going to put it out there that maybe Keen's on next week. Maybe he's not on next week. Does Gary get through guarded checkpoints? We'll never know. Um, but at the same time, no. I, 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 you, Westerns has been something that you've been quite vocal about as something that you've loved for quite a long time. Uh, for as long as I've known you, I suppose. Um, so it was quite nice to be able to watch it. Not, not only watch it with you, but be able to talk to you about it. So um, thank you for your time. I very much appreciate it. 
and not only do I appreciate your time, but I appreciate the time of anyone who's listened to this or anyone who's listened to any of the other ones. Uh, if you want to know when new ones are coming out, you can follow at Reading in the Peers on Instagram. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Keen, any final words? No, thanks, thanks, thanks for having me on. Look, I know it's a bit of a you know, not many people like westerns these days. I love westerns, but you know, I know it's a it's a bit out there, but I just like. You watching you you chancing your arm on this film and uh, it's nice it's always nice to have a chat about a film with you oh, you know I watch anything I watch anything don't you worry <laughs> um, uh, um, no absolutely and uh, no again uh, uh, lastly I'll say thanks to Keen I'll say thanks to anyone who's listening uh, we really hope you enjoy. <laughs>